3: Good morning, everybody. It is Rich Wilson. It is uh, December 28th at uh, 1130 in the morning here on the East Coast in the uh, Ocean Isle Beach, North Carolina, which is where I live part of, part of the time. And it has absolutely been a beautiful holiday week, and I hope everybody has enjoyed their Christmas and is looking forward to the New Year's as they sit here today. It is uh, 74 degrees. <laughs> so and uh, just it's been absolutely beautiful on Christmas Day. I played bocce ball on the beach, and I, it's just ridiculous, right? So, uh, so life is good, and I hope again everybody enjoyed their Christmas and time with family, and hope you got all the gifts that you wanted. Hope you got a chance to uh, to listen to some podcasts that we've been doing. I saw the downloads; really like downloads on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, which I assume would be the case, and then it all made up over the last couple of days as. Uh, you got to get distracted by something. (laughs) So hopefully this will provide you some distractions as well. Uh, Today we're going to be covering the Los Angeles Dodgers and the San Diego Padres minor league systems. And, you know, they're not... I think the Tampa Bay Rays is the top system. Uh, If you told me that that, uh, the Padres should be the top system, you can make that argument. You can almost make the argument that... I don't think they 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 are the top system. That the Dodgers could also be in that conversation. I think they're all. Both of these are top ten systems. Probably top five systems as well. Uh, the Dodgers have just done a remarkable job at not trading their young stud players. Uh, they've had a chance on Cody Bellinger, Alex Verdugo, uh, all the way back to Jack Peterson and Corey Seager. They just haven't traded them, and now it's been. Um, uh, um, Walker Buehler is another one that other teams want it, and they just have refused to do it. And now you've got uh, Gavin Lux, which everybody wants, and it'd be interesting to see if the Dodgers eventually do trade one of these top prospects to try to bring in some health. But I, I sit there and analyze it; they're going to win the division again. They'll be favored. They could win the division the next four or five years, as young and as deep as that squad is. Um, and they just—they're really, really good. And you begin to wonder if they're going to win the division and have a chance to go to the World Series every year. Why change the approach they've been doing, which is to build from within, try to uh, sign players to team-friendly deals? Eventually. You know, the these the, the Corey Bellingers, of Cody Bellingers of the world, Corey Seegers of the world, they're all going to be free agents at some point and they're not going to be able to sign them all. And you've got to have that stream of young players constantly coming in. And a lot of people don't know this, but they originally signed Jordan Alvarez. Uh, so I forgot who Houston Astros got for him. But, you know, it just goes to show you when you've got, when you really um, do a good job, of player development. Sorry, I had to put it on pause as I sneezed, so apologies on that. When you do a really good job with player development, um, having that long stream of players coming in uh, year over year after year is important, and that's how you can really build a very large window. And you know, you complement that with uh, with some free agent signings, and you have potentially a world championship team. Now, I know all of you are going, well, the gee, the Dodgers have won the big one. I understand that, but they ran into the Red Sox, who were. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, were you going? Was anybody going to beat the Red Sox uh, in 2018? Given that team, and they were just rolling on all cylinders. I mean, Nate oldie looked like a Cy Young Award uh, candidate uh, during that run, uh, and you know he's nothing more than a fourth starting pitcher, or even a bullpen arm. Uh, and then Mookie Betts, and you know everybody was just hitting out of their minds. So everybody knows you know, kind of that story. So could could even a a couple better free agents have been able to topple what the, um, what the Red Sox were throwing out there in the year before that. I mean, they ran into a bus all known as Justin Verlander and the Houston Astros. Now, again, it'll be interesting to find out like the extent of the st- sign ceiling uh, controversy. And if that played a major role in them and them not winning, but they had two very good teams in 2017 and 18. And they, you can argue they just ran into better teams. And I'm not sure, well, I guess there would have been some major signing they could have done, but, you know, sometimes you just have to tip your cap and move on. I think they will win a World Series with these uh, with the players that they have out there. Uh, and you can argue, by the way, in 2019, they ran into another team that was destined to, to, for greatness, and that was the Washington Nationals. Um, so I contend that they're not going to trade for any of these, if it it involves Gavin Lux, they're not going to trade for Mookie Betts. I I don't think it's going to take a Gavin Lux type of prospect, a top five prospect in the game to get a Mookie Betts for one year. Uh, It would take a Gavin Lux to get uh, Francisco Lindor. And I'm curious to see if the Dodgers would spend that. I don't think they will. I don't have the answers. You know, I don't have any inside knowledge, but, I know the people I talk to who also don't have any inside knowledge. Nobody is coming out and saying, yeah, the Dodgers are going to pull the trigger and bring in Francisco Lindor. I know they still like, um, Corey Seager a lot. I believe they don't have a bounce back year, but as we're talking about the Los Angeles Dodgers, let's just continue on through the discussion. It's a really deep system. As we've talked about Gavin Lux obviously is their number one prospect had a, um, I don't know exactly when he got called, the end of August, early September, which I was surprised. Usually that is not the uh, the formula that the Dodgers use, but they believe Gavin Lux could help last year. And, you know, he had some moments, but it was pretty much, eh. yeah, He didn't do a whole lot in his uh, Major League debut. But I, th- I actually think it's good that he got those, you know, 50-60 at-bats underneath of him because I think that will, <clears throat> that will actually – that will actually do him well when he uh, starts the season next year with the Dodgers, or I'm assuming that's what he's going to do because he's got service time. You don't get um, time taken away from becoming the Rookie of the Year eligibility in September, but you do get service time. So if they were going to play the ser- seven-year service time game, that means they're going to they have to keep him down to probably the early part of May. So if they want to get that extra year of team control, that's when he would come up. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. I don't have any inside knowledge as to whether he plays day one or whether they do hold him back to early May. If you know gun to my head how he would be drafting would be uh right out of the shoot. Uh and just bring him on and, and play the the best guys that you can for the entire season. I think this guy has got all star potential. I think he's a top thirty fantasy player. I think this this cat has a chance to be a very, very good player. Is he going to bump uh, Corey Seager out of short? He could. Uh, probably more likely going to play second or third, uh, at least for the next couple of years. But th- this is a guy that's got uh, a plus hit tool, excellent bat speed, the chance to grow into plus power, and steal a handful of bases. I mean, this is not going to be a guy that... Uh, that you're going to count for 20 stolen bases not a 2020 type of player but uh this is a this is a this is a an above average hit tool so in other words 280 to 300 um, hit tool that I think that could translate to a batting average with another 70 80 70 points on top of that for for on base percentage and then it could be a 550 plus uh, Slug, this is a guy that's going to have tremendous power and steal, five to ten, maybe a few more bases. It's a damn good player. Um, and, again, if he doesn't start the season in Los Angeles, it's going to have serious playing time next year. Um, second, number two prospect is one of my favorite guys in all the minor leagues, and that is Dustin May. Now, he had another chance to come up. I think he does start the season with, uh, with the Dodgers. I don't think they'll, they'll play any... Um, service time games with him because i mean he had meaningful innings down the stretch and was very good in the bullpen uh and also as a starter i you know, he is definitely a starter uh, and i I made the comment to Tim a couple of weeks ago if you tell me in three years that dustin may is the guy leading that rotation over Walker Buehler? I would not be surprised. And Walker Buehler's got great stuff. Don't get me wrong; a top five, ten pitcher in the game as we speak. But Dustin May's got the size. He's got just a nasty, nasty uh, uh, ninety-six to ninety-seven mile an hour sinker that breaks bats. That gets a ton of uh, ground balls. So he's not going to be uh, homer-prone. It's just a nasty arsenal. And, again, whether he beats out Walker Buehler as the top of the rotation, I think he has that chance. I have him as a top 30 starting pitcher. If you told me he's an ace, would not be at all surprised. He's just a really good, good pitcher uh, with great stuff and developing good control and developing command, good fastball command they showed when he was up. Uh, big, big fan there. Not that far behind, Uh, is a guy named Josiah Gray. And I doubt you'll see him number three in a lot of the other write-ups. He was in double-A. I have him as a top 40 starting pitcher, but I do think there's upside. He's athletic. He's got great stuff. He's got very good control that he's been able to demonstrate. And he's a guy that just continues to impress. And last year, it seemed like every game that he pitched was better than the game before. He was actually not drafted by the... um, by the Dodgers, he was actually acquired in the trade for Yasiel Puig for one year of Yasiel Puig. The Reds gave up Josiah Gray. I think they got um, the pitcher there as well. So, uh, uh, but I mean, then they got. I mean, Josiah Gray has a chance to be very good, and that's why the Dodgers are really good. They gave up Puig, who was excess capacity uh, for them, and they brought in a guy that's going to give them six or seven years of team control, a chance to be a number two starter. Uh, that's pretty impressive um i don't think we see him next year but again he's already seen double a so there is a chance uh, that he comes up in uh 2020 um and, you know, you've got Gonsolin that's got to see some time. you got uh, Dustin Mays definitely going to see time. And you've got Josiah Gray. All three of those guys uh, could see time. And they no longer have Hunjin Roo because he signed with Toronto, which I hate that signing, by the way. Uh, I don't think that's an injury risk. And I think he's I, – I just don't feel good about what he's going to do in the American League East. I think uh, it's, it's going to be very, very tough for him. But uh, – yeah, I mean, it's it's it could be in 2021. You could have Walker Buehler, Dustin May, uh, uh, Tony Gonzalez, Josiah Gray, and Clayton Kershaw. <laughs> that could be your starting rotation. Uh, Clayton Kershaw being obviously the vet there and everybody else being under the age of, I can't remember how old Walker Buehler is, but everybody else under the age of 27. I mean, that's a really, really good starting rotation. Do not sleep on Josiah Gray. If you haven't heard much about him, I mean, it's good stuff. It's it's you know he pitched in low A, high A, double A, two twenty eight A, ten uh, strikeouts per nine, walked us over two per nine. It's good stuff. He's athletic. It's 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 the guy that uh, you want to dream on from a dynasty league perspective. Tony Gonsolin. Uh, Arguably pitched better than Dustin May, uh, particularly down the stretch. with some really good starts. They did not move him to the bullpen, even though Gonsolin was a reliever in college. And they made him a starter once he got into professional ball. They kept him as a starter um, uh, when he was up with the Dodgers. And I think the difference between he and Josiah Gray and Dustin May is the control isn't as... um, well-defined as the other two guys it's a plus fastball he's got a really good two really good off-speed pitches but the i mean he doesn't always throw strikes and i think that's what is really holding him back from being able to pitch at the top of the rotation and that said i mean it's a it's a number three starter and if he develops better control which can happen uh i think he has a chance to again to improve on that Fastball in the majors average, yeah, ninety three and a half, ninety four. I mean, it's good, not great, not what Dustin May was doing, but it's got a really good split that. Um, um, that is really tough to pick up and is causing a lot of swing and miss. And I think I, I read in the article that uh, with a slider split, you get 20% whiff rates on each of those pitches. So all three of those pitches are getting swing and miss on 20% of it, which is pretty impressive. So when you go to like Brooks Baseball or Baseball Savant, just looking at the pitch FX data, what I like to take a look at is how effective pitches are, is the number of called strikes, the number of foul balls, and the number of whiffs. And I just kind of do the whiff right there and if that number is starting to equal like 60 percent 70 percent I mean those are that becomes a really elite pitch now sometimes a foul ball too many foul balls can be that you're not fooling the guy completely so you do have to watch that but usually that's that's rare uh, but if you see a really high foul ball right then you have to like dig into like what's happening um but usually those three statistics and then looking for something definitely over 50% quality pitch over 60. Like if you take a look at Garrett Cole, some of his pitches I think are close to 70% uh, basically strikes when he throws, which is ridiculous, right? Because you're going to throw some of those pitches away on purpose. So you're just pounding the strike zone. And even though, quite frankly, Garrett Cole doesn't have great movement on a lot of, a lot of his pitches. He's gotten better since he's gone to Houston. Um, but he's still the best pitcher in baseball because he's able to pound the strike zone and just get, you know, get uh, miss bats, and uh, that's that's what you're looking for. Tony Gonsolin, I do think, is a mid rotation starter and a sneaky guy. You know, he's always talked about, you know, in the Bryce Wilson, um, you know, number four, number three starter. The count right, I'm thinking of some Atlanta Braves guys, and always kind of lumped into that group of pitchers. He might. Based on what he did in the major leagues, he might be a little bit better than those guys. And as a kid, I've always liked to own him in a number of dynasty leagues. Uh, and I got to tell you that he is undervalued in dynasty leagues, at least in our leagues. I mean, people, you know, you, you offer him up as a, you know, he's probably a top 75 prospect, maybe even a little higher. I haven't done my rankings yet. And he's not treated that way at all. He's treated its definitely something less, at least in our leagues. Kiebert Ruiz, who uh, is a kid that is definitely forgotten after Will Smith's uh, uh, blow up in the in the major major leagues, and he, you know he was essentially the best catching prospect um, for the Dodgers before uh, uh, you know before the, the you know the blow up of, of, of Will Smith, and um, and he is uh, the when I used to write about Smith and Ruiz, I looked at Smith as more of the defensive guy who probably would be the, you know, the backup to Ruiz because Ruiz was the offensive guy, uh, the offensive oriented uh, tools. I mean, it's a plus hit tool with good power. And then Will Smith, just offensive game, a lot like Sean Murphy just blew up Uh, and it blew up over the last year. And I think what we saw in the major leagues, I, I don't, think he's gonna have forty home run power because that's what he showed, but it could be twenty five home run power to guy who can hit. That's a damn good catcher. Ruiz could be the same guy. I mean he's got that kind of upside and I think if there's one guy that they're trying to move, it would be Cabert Ruiz because I think around baseball circles as opposed to fantasy circles he's got a ton of uh, of upside cuz people are looking for that offensive ability behind the plate and he's a decent catcher he's he's not i wouldn't call him you know a um, you know a potential to be a gold glove uh, caliber backstop but i mean he's he's passable back there better than somebody like Gary Sanchez and i think a better upside offensively than Sanchez. But I think he'll hit more. I don't think he's got 35 home run power like Gary Sanchez does, but I think the total package is going to be pretty impressive. And I've been able to get Ruiz in a couple of trades as not the lead guy, but as the second or third guy um and uh and I'm going to continue to try to do that here in the offseason cuz I really believe in the player. It's already in AAA too. So you could see him next year, but I do think it's in another it's in another system and another team. Diego Cortea has been a guy that I've been promoting since last year. Um, there was a lot of feedback I got that Cortea was the better was the better prospect out of Marco Luciano and Cortea uh coming out of the international ranks last year. Uh, and there were so many people that didn't like Victor Victor, uh, uh, um, Victor, Victor Mason. I, I just didn't listen to him. And I should have uh, because he's, he, he was, he was bad. He was really bad last season. So, but those three guys were the elite of the elite. And a lot of people put uh, Mesa first, uh, Luciana second, and Cortea third. I had a chance to see Cortea and the instruction—that you know, guy can hit, man. It is loud contact off his bat. There's definitely going to be power, um, and he can catch. I mean, he's a long way off still in rookie ball. But if you if you told me he sees some time in low A this year, it would not be at all surprised. I think he moves quickly, uh, and he, you know, I mean, Will Smith is—he's still got six more years of team control. And is probably two to three years away. Uh, so there's going to be difficult decisions, but they have another really good catcher in the farm system that, uh, people are really high on. And, you know, when I talk to my scouting friends and just evaluators, guys in the front office, this name comes up a lot in trades and he's somebody that, you know, fantasy people rarely talk about. He's rarely talked about in the news because everybody talks about, oh, Gavin Lux, he's a top five prospect. That's the guy they want. It's really Diego Carte is the guy you want because that's the guy that the Dodgers are willing to give up. And guess what? He's really damn good. Again, go back to Jordan Alvarez. You don't necessarily need to get Corey Seager in a trade. Sometimes you get Jordan Alvarez because you know how to evaluate players, and that's who you're pulling. I see Diego Cartier is um, a upside guy that's not talked about. So when you are trading with somebody in your dynasty league draft, he's a second or third player. I would just say, hey, let's throw this guy in. In fact, somebody I traded away Carte as a, a bit of a, a another piece to to make the deal work. Um, and uh you know, I felt like I got taken a little bit there, but I, I wanna I think it was for might have been for Jose Altuve or Mike Jones. It was for a big player. And, uh, I just, I really wanted, I really wanted the player. So I, I, I gave him up. Um, I, I think Ortea will have a lot of value going forward. He's just really still unknown. We finally get to the, um, to the Dodgers first round draft pick and Cody hosts. I think that's how you pronounce his name. um, he he can hit. There's definitely power there. And had the knock against him—he's 22 years old already, um, so he's got to move quickly. Um, he hit 23 home runs, 30, 3.91 batting average, a 46 one base percentage in his last junior year at Tulane, which is not a hotbed of of uh, of, of of college baseball at all. Um, but I think at, at pick 25 they got a bit of a steal. And look, you like how the um, Astros have been able to develop players. So you look at that team, you love how Cleveland's been able to sign and develop pitchers. And you got to look at like what the Dodgers are doing. The Dodgers draft a guy. You got to be interested. I mean, they, they're just developing guys. I mean, look at it. It's year over year. They've got somebody who's competing for uh rookie of the year. And, Again, Verdugo was a bit of a disappointment. He's not the same caliber as Bellinger and Seager and those guys were. But he's a really good player. He just got hurt the last six to eight weeks of the year. Um, but it's, he could have been talked about and you know potentially for some Rookie of the Year votes. He didn't get any. Um, so, but again, it's year over year that you've got that guy, those guys. And when the Dodgers draft a guy, I'm interested. Um, I think you'll see him move quickly. Uh, there's no reason he can't uh, spend a lot of time in high A and sometime in double A next year, and then in 2021 be in double and triple A with a chance to see the major leagues at the end of 2021 or 2022, and that'll make him 24 years old, which is absolutely fine. He could also be a guy that gets moved in a trade. Jeter Downs. I love Jeter Downs. A lot of people love Jeter Downs too, because there's twenty twenty potential. He's probably going to be a super utility guy on the uh, um, if he sticks with the Dodgers. Again, that was another guy's part of that. Yossi Puig traded because they got him from Cincinnati. <laughs> it was like ridiculous. Um, he obviously played well when he was in the, the California League, 19 home runs, 23 stolen bases. Uh, it was an on-base percentage of two fifty-four. There's going to be some strikeouts there. He doesn't make great contact. Um, but it's a dynamic, speed, power kind of combination, um, and I, I think it's just a, um, he just needs some more development time and a little bit work on making better contact, and uh, I think, you know, is he going to beat out, who's he going to beat out of, of the infield to play? I don't think he's going to beat out Cav- Gavin Lux. Do the Dodgers eventually move uh, Corey Seeger? They could. Corey Seager could could go for free agency I don't know when that is maybe Dieter Downs, Jeter Downs could see some uh full-time at bats once Seager moves on uh, the Justin Turner you know it's just about out of out of his time and that's where Gavin Lux moves into Max Muncie's always been the guy you got Jack Peterson potentially at first so it, I don't know where he plays long term but I think he's a talent and it's a guy that has upside of 2020. I say conservatively, a 15-15 player. If you're a 15-15 player, then there's some years you potentially are going to steal over 20 bases and hit over 20 home runs. That's a guy that you definitely want to target. I'm a big fan of Jeter Downs. Miguel Vargas comes in uh, at number nine, uh, a kid that um, can really hit. We haven't seen a whole lot of power, but there is definitely... Plus bat speed there, and he's a he's a guy that the uh, again much like Jordan Alvarez signed out of Cuba. The Dodgers signed Miguel Vargas out of Cuba in two thousand and seventeen, and all he does is hit one hundred and seventy six games. Uh, across the rookie ball all the way in the high ace hit 312 of the 385 on base percentage. He's only striking out 15% of the time. He's walking 10% of the time. I mean, that's a recipe for a plus hit tool, a guy that's going to hit two, two eighty to 300. Again, as I said before, he's got plus bad speed. He's six foot three He's a big guy. There's lacks leverage. And so that's why we haven't seen a whole lot of over the fence power. I think all that stuff starts to get worked out. And, um, in, 2000, uh, in 2020, well, it's weird to say, <laughs> at the end of a decade, wow. Uh, I think that start, stuff starts to get worked out next season, and I think you see power. And again, Vargas is a guy nobody's talking about, and this system is so deep, he's at nine, he is not... A ninth best prospect, if you know what I mean. I mean, he in many other systems, he's a top five prospect, and getting a lot more discussion. It's just a really, really deep system. Big fan. Michael Bush is another guy who I like a lot. He's got a great approach at the plate, ability to get on base, got good power. You know, what people, when they see that second base, and he's just an okay second baseman. So there's definitely concern about where he's going to play. I can't see him getting full-time playing time in in the Dodgers, but I think there is a chance that he gets moved at some point, and he's one that I would be following around. He was uh, a first-round supplemental pick. uh, It was 2019, I think, right? So, uh, or was it 18? I can't remember when it, exactly when he got drafted, but uh, for another first-round draft pick, and again, is a guy that um, that you like as as the Dodgers because they they they're very good at, uh, at at drafting players. So it's it's definitely uh, somebody I'm I'm interested in. Usually, I don't spend a whole lot of time 11 through 15. Uh, Mitch White, though, is a guy that I continue to be intrigued by. He's got a great arm. Wow, it's already 27 minutes. I really talked a lot about the Dodgers here. Mitch White is a great arm. I think it's a bullpen arm now. The injuries have just slowed him down too much. And uh, so I think you definitely see him moving into the bullpen. But... I mean, Kenley Jansen is the guy for saves, but there's going to be a lot of opportunities for other guys to get in there. And it could be Mitch White eventually getting some opportunities, not saying you go out and draft him, just somebody that uh, I would be very uh, kind of on my, on my radar. Um, Jaron Kendall, number 13. I had a chance to see him in the fall league and he made my hot prospect list a couple of times. I think this guy, this guy's an athlete. I mean, he's got great bat speed, good power, can really, really run. He just can't hit, and uh, it might be the Lewis Brinson kind of factor where that just he strikes out too much that he'll ever make it. But man, if he can, there is fantasy goodness in that player. Uh, I, I just I don't know how much he's going to hit. I really don't. He, he might not ever make it. So it's a question whether you you draft him on your team, um, but you know, it's it's an intriguing talent for sure. Good, good system. Edwin Rios is an you know, interesting guy, probably is, you know, an extra bat at this point. If he gets moved, I think he could be a second division starter somewhere. Uh, but it's just really good. It's a really good system, particularly with guys that are going to be impact bats next year uh, with Lux and, and Dustin May and and Tony Goslin and a chance for Josiah Gray to see some time as well. So, um, with that, let's take a quick break. And when we get back, uh, let's talk the San Diego Padres.
0: With the lucky land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
3: The liberty of looking up Michael Bush. Yes, last uh, two thousand nineteen first round supplemental picks. Uh, apologies for that. Uh, can't four I've got hundred fifty guys I am talking about. And I can't. I can't memorize everybody, so I apologize for that. Uh, so twenty uh, one year old uh, played uh, ball in North Carolina, University of North Carolina, which is uh, I guess my backyard now. So and I, I've had a chance to see a lot of Tar Heel games. They always have very very good. Um, very good college balls play their ACC. Is not as good as the SEC from a college baseball standpoint, but they've got good players coming through. That it's a couple hours from my house, two hours and fifteen minutes actually from my house. So uh, if they're playing a double hitter, I will head over there and, and catch a game. Plus, they're many times played in the daytime, which is which is actually kind of cool as well. So uh, that's that's where Michael Bush was. By the way, it was it's actually I don't really follow college college. Um, follow college basketball much anymore but i looked at the standings uh it was yesterday in the acc and north carolina's lost they're seven and five they've lost five games out of 12 it's north carolina michael jordan dean smith i mean what the hell has happened there so i thought that was pretty pretty fascinating but uh yeah that's that's what we got uh anyway and uh now i'm yapping and i got to get up bring up my um San Diego Padres, which again, really, really good system. Quite frankly, not as not as deep as it once was. You know, with Fernando Tatis coming up, you know, depth is 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 all about the younger players and so forth. But when you've got a talent like uh, Tatis and he comes up, it you know, it leaves a mark. You know, that was a one of the best systems in the best system in in the uh, in the league and all of a sudden you lose one of the the best players and it it, it definitely leaves a mark but right after that now some we've got their stud pitchers coming up Kenzie Gore another North Carolina product uh, high schooler out of Whitesville which is rural North Carolina not quite as rural as where Madison Bumgarner came from but it's I mean I go I go through there from Charlotte driving to the beach and I go through go through every time I go back and forth, which is yes you know, many times during the during the year. And it's uh it's a it's not a robust place. It's pretty country out there and lots of gores live there. I, you know, a guy owns uh like a sheet metal sheet metal place and then a country store. I don't know if it's the Gore family, I, I don't know Non-related, but lots of Gore businesses and and Whitesville, which I think is pretty interesting. Anyway, this, who cares about all of that stuff? Just just stuff I noticed. You're not going to get that on any other podcast because, you know, I I just go through the place. Anyway, Mackenzie Gore, I think he was the fourth overall pick in the Hunter Green um, draft. So it was Hunter Green, Royce Lewis, uh, who was third? Anyway, uh, Gore and Gore's clearly today is is the best of the bunch coming out of that draft uh and you know, he came in as an athletic lefty. He had the funny leg kick, still has the funny leg kick, kind of the Bronson Arroyo kind ish type of long, straight leg. And you know, I know, and I saw videos of him in high school. I didn't get a chance to see him in high school. Uh, cause I wasn't living in North Carolina at, the, at that point. Um, you know, he kind of looked at us. That's kind of weird. Um, but it just and it's all working. I mean, he's got really good stuff. And yes, last year in two thousand eighteen, yeah, there was a lot of um, few too many walks, the ERA is getting hit a little bit hard. But it, it just all came together this year. So the athleticism with the improving stuff, and he's the best pitcher in baseball. And there's some really good pitchers, when you have Casey Mize and Forrest Whitley and and uh, Dustin May I mean there's some really really high end guys and he's at the top of the list and it's just a combination of premium stuff and the ability to throw strikes um, avoid walks it's you know it's a number one it's a number one ceiling and I do think we see him next year in fact our first mock draft I took him uh, I took him somewhere I mean he was definitely a guy I didn't take with my last pick um and and i he he would be a target of mine in a draft and hold league and just deeper leagues that we that uh, that that uh that you're playing in the, coming into the two thousand nineteen season um he could be signed to you know a team friendly deal i don't think so he made a ton of money when he was signed because he was signed so high and again i'm i'm assuming his parents own one of those businesses right so it's not like they are uh, destitute people. At least you would think if they own a business, they've they got some money coming in. So all of that, you know. And the reason I say all of that a, a lot, m- many of the times, there's two reasons guys sign team friendly deal. One is they need the money. They flat out need the money. Their parents need the money. I see that in a lot of Latin kids. Uh, and you know, uh, and Ozzy Albie's. I don't know if this is the case or not. When he signed that incredibly team friendly deal. You don't know what was going on back home for him, and his parents could have. Re- I mean, they, they for all they know, they were living on the streets. Who knows? Because you know, you, you live in those very poor, poor areas of some of those Latin countries. You need the money. Same is true here in the United States. A lot of kids, the families need money, and they he's the he is the meal ticket. So that's one reason. The second is, the team, the 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 kid is worried about injury. Um, the the kid is worried about um, not being as good maybe as as his prospect hype is, and just wants the assurance of that. And I think potentially we see that with Evan White signed for a lot of money, and he takes a look at it, does the the math, and he goes, I think there's a there's a forty percent, sixty percent chance that I'll that this is a very team friendly deal, and I could have made a lot more by holding out and going all the way to free agency. Uh, but there's also a 40% chance I'll never make more more money than that. So you, you start to take a look at that equation and figure out, okay, it's better, I'll I'll just I'll reduce my risk and take the deal. So this is really two reasons. It is all about money, but the first is there's some pretty immediate need that you need that money, and two, you're just taking a look at the value of that and uh, and making the deal. So I don't see gore and I could be wrong, I don't know the guy. Again, I don't know the businesses that are out there that say gore on it in Whitesville. Um, and he also got paid a lot of money. So I don't see him signing a team-friendly deal. Therefore, I think he is up probably sometime in a couple of months. So maybe the end of May, early June. I don't think it'll have anything to do with, with Super 2. It'll have more to do with he's in A. He only spent a few games in Double A. Let's let him burn a little bit more and get some upper level minors uh, there. It, it'll be interesting, given the PCL and you know if the ball is pretty much the way it was last year, how much time he actually spends in the PCL. So it could be seven to eight starts in Double A, a start or two in Triple A and up. So let's call it ten. So ten starts. That's about eight weeks. That puts us at early June. Feels about right. Number two is Taylor Trammell. Uh, for those of you long-time listeners, long-time readers of our site um, and podcast, I've been a huge fan of Tyler Trammell since he got drafted. He's a quality individual. Uh, the work ethic is off the charts. I've had a chance to spend a lot of time with people who know him well uh, within the um, Reds organization and I haven't talked to him since he's moved over to the pod. This is a guy that wants to get better, and is just a great makeup kid. Uh, tools, double-plus runner. I think he's going to have a chance to hit with some power. He's an on-base uh, uh, on base over batting average player. Does strike out a few too too much. Uh, good plate discipline. I think this guy has a chance to be an impact contributor. Um, not Victor Robley's but on the same path. So a guy that could steal twenty five to thirty bases, maybe more, and could hit, you know, fifteen to twenty home runs and with you know, and post a three fifty on base percentage, that might be a two sixty batting average, two seventy batting average, and that might hurt where he hits in the order if you're thinking old-school baseball, but Padres are more new-school, and if he's posting a 350 or so on-base percentage, I think he has a chance to hit at the top of the lineup, and he can really play center field. Uh, Excuse me, not center field. He can really play the outfield. My guess is he's going to move into left, Um, because he's a really good outfielder. He uses his speed very, very well. So when does it happen? I think it depends on... How many more trades they make? It's starting to get a little crowded with some mediocre players out and out in uh, Padre land. I think they still have Hunter Renfro, right? They haven't moved him. They've moved Franmil Reyes and uh, some other guys. Did they move Hunter Renfro? Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, I, they they need to take some some mediocre depth out of that outfield, and I think it'll free up a spot for for um, for Taylor Trammell to to come in. So. Is it going to be 2020? I think it could be. Uh, more likely 2021. Big, big fan. Louis Patino, if you saw him in the Futures game, you had to fall in love. This guy's got a dynamic arm, can really bring it, um, good control. I mean, the problem is he's a little guy. Um, and, I mean, that's my that's my worry with Luis Patino. He's just not... He's not a big strapping guy that you'd like to see pitching at the top of a lineup. He's bigger than Louis, than um, uh, the Yankee guy, the uh, Garcia with the Yankees, uh, uh, Debbie Garcia. But he's not, he's just not the big guy, six feet, 190 pounds. That screams more bullpen arm, but I've seen him pitch and the stuff is real. It's great, great movement. Uh, it's got a high spin rate on the fastball. It's all those things that you love, except for the size. And size does matter uh, when it comes to pitching. It just it, it really really does. But uh, he could also be up next year. He's he's saw time in Double A, but Gore got called up I think three weeks before Patino did. But Patino looked better than Gore in the in you know in that one outing. So. Very good talent, a guy that I would if he's on your waiver wire as a kid, I would try to be uh, try to be adding. Uh, let's take our final let's take another break here. Let me get a quick glass of water because I'm getting a little parched here. When we get back, let's finish up the San Diego Padres system.
0: With the lucky land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
3: Coming in at number four is CJ Abrams. I had a chance to see CJ Abrams in the Instruct League, and the eighty grade runner is very, very true. Uh, I got him on a bunt, and it was three eight on a bunt, which you know is not quite fair, but that's he was flying down first base. Um, so he, what what you're getting this guy for is the speed, and when he played in the, the rookie league, he rookie ball. So he, Take that somewhat with a grain of salt. I want to see him getting affiliated. True um, full-season ball. Not affiliated, but true full-season ball. Uh, but he really hit and, and played extremely well in rookie ball. I think he was he either won the batting average or was very close to the top. Uh, 4 0 batting average. So, again, you're, you're doing that with a crazy, insane, uh, unrepeatable batting average of balls in play, or unsustainable, I guess I should say, Um But there is absolutely no power at the moment. He's definitely a slappy hitter. He's a big kid, though, so I think he eventually develops power. So does he stay at shortstop? I could see him moving to the outfield eventually, you know, particularly with Tatis there. I think he moves quickly. A lot is going to be about next year because I do think he starts in low A next year. And, uh, again, if he hits over 300, making great contact, He's going to, he, he has a chance to be a superstar because I do think that a little bit of power is going to develop and he can absolutely fly. Um, I don't think he's Trey Turner, um, but he's probably as, fa- he's as fast as Trey Turner and probably can also have as much power as Turner does. Uh, this is just a really good athletic uh, kid that, you know, this is somebody that you want in a system, somebody that you want in a fantasy team. And I'm working on my pref list for my, our Dynasty League redrafts that we've got coming up in May. And it's a really tough list to put together because usually there's a no-brainer, number one. And my no-brainer, number one, after the draft was Adley Rutschman. I mean, this is a guy's probably a top fifteen, maybe a top fifteen player, but he's a catcher, and I get all the complexities of catchers. It's a really, really chance to be a really, really good player. But then you take a look at Jason Dominguez, you take a look at CJ Abrams, and you go, man, do I want one of those guys ahead of Rutschman? Because they have more impact. I mean, there's no question that Jason Dominguez, without even playing a an at bat yet in professional ball. Just from everything I've talked to people that have seen him and everything you've read over the internet, I mean, he looks like Mookie Betts. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of, Mookie Betts with more power. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, this guy has a chance to be a monster player. C.J. Abrams has a chance to be a monster fantasy player because of the speed. And if he steals 40 bases and bats 280 you know, scoring a ton of runs to sit at the top of the batting order. And he only hits ten home runs. I can't believe Adley Rutschman will earn more value than him, uh, even if Adley Rutschman turns into Joey um, um, turns into uh, Buster Posey, right? Because the forty stolen bases is going to be so so impactful. So you can make the argument that CJ Abrams should be taken ahead of Ad- Adley Rutschman. Then again. If you're competing and ready to roll and Rutschman can improve your catching spot and somehow you're 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 up at the top, you got to take Rutschman ahead because he should be able to help as soon as 2020. It's probably 2021. I think he's going into a really good development organization now with the Orioles. Yes, I said that in a sentence and I mean it in a sentence. I think the Orioles are just much, much better as they move over that uh that Houston Astros uh, philosophy and a lot of the development guys coming over. CJ Abrams, very, very impressive. Wait till you see him run. It is it's it's Trey Turner, Roman Quinn. It's that kind of ridiculous speed. Xavier Edwards is no longer here. He got traded. Um Look, I like it and I, you know, look, I'd already written all this stuff up, and that's just a losing proposition trying to trying to move players around. Uh, so I kept Xavier Edwards here because I didn't. In the past, I've actually taken players out in real time, and then if I would have done that, Xavier Edwards would have not been written about. And then he's a top 100 prospect, and then where do I point him to on the top 100? You know, so it just it just sucks, right? So you just wind up keeping it as is, um, and I think I did put Steel Walker, I think I put him back, uh, no, no, Will Wilson, I put him uh, in the, the uh, wherever he got moved to, I think I put him in the Giants organization again, or some, some, some place, some, no, Steel Walker that I duplicated, put him in the Texas Rangers, because that was the only system I had not written yet, uh, going into the, uh, going into the winter meetings. But anyway, Xavier Edwards, not quite as much speed as um, as uh, C.J. Abrams, but damn, good, good speed. Did see him in the fall league, too. I mean, that guy's, guy's little, but, man, he can really, really fly. Um, I put him down as a—he's uh, currently in uh, second base. I did put him down as potentially an outfielder long-term, so— um, you know, but in his new team, does he stay at second base? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I think you're, you're getting him because of his ability, uh, what he can do on the base pass. He doesn't have any power at the moment. Uh, it's a 399 slug. A lot of that's because he beat doubles into triples. So it, it, there's just not a lot of power. And he's not a big guy. Um, I write in that 86% of his hits have been singles. So this is you know, the kind of the definition of a punch and Judy type of hitter. I don't know if that's politically incorrect, by the way. <laughs> I don't know, but if it is and I offended somebody, I apologize. But uh, he is a you know he is just a slappy type of hitter. Um, I you know a lot of people have um, have comped him to D Gordon. I think that's a probably a pretty good comp. And D Gordon was what a fourth or fifth round pick. Maybe even a little higher. I think that's who Xavier Edwards has a chance to be. Um, top 100 prospect, a really good, really good name. Louis Compensano, who is one of the better catching prospects in the game. I spent a lot of time talking about Cartea. I could talk as much about Louis Compensano, and he's in high A. So it's a kid that kind of came out of nowhere and really played well in the, in the um In the California League, which again, hitters league um, where San Diego plays down on Lake Elsinore. Not as big of a hitters park as some of the other places, but it's still a hitters paradise in the California League. So there was a little bit of push there, but a kid who can hit, showing some power, decent catcher. um, And again, Francisco Mejia, and I think I write this in the the, uh, list, I mean... I'm a big fan of uh, Mejia. I have him in a dynasty league, so I've got my fingers crossed. But if he doesn't hit in the next years, you know, he's going to get the chance to play in 2020. But if he doesn't play well, it doesn't hit, you could see Capensana quickly up there in 2021. Because you figure he's going to start the year in double-A. And, I mean... Double A most of the year, maybe some time in Triple A, and then 2021 is here, and he's going to be ready to roll. So Mejia better hit. He should be able to hit. The Guy doesn't walk a ton, but the guy makes great contact. Uh, it's an offensive-minded catcher. Hey, you not, you're not going to sign Mejia for his defensive skills. But he, if he doesn't hit, then Campana is going to be on his coattails very, very quickly. On his coattails, on his. On his tail very quickly. I forgot the expression. Don't know. Um, number seven comes in Adrian Morahan. Um I'm thinking more and more that this guy is a closer. He just he just can't throw. He can't throw strikes. It's a great arm. It's a smallish kind of guy. So I just think eventually he moves uh, to to the bullpen. Uh, FX uh, pitch FX data showing that it's a 96 mile an hour fastball. But spin rate is very low, so there's not a lot of life on that. But if he goes to the bullpen, that 96 turns into 98, spin becomes less important. Because you just got to amp up. I mean, you, you got to start your swing a lot earlier. Uh, and that's why if you throw 98 miles an hour with a high spin rate and the ball's moving – Bats have no chance. The hitters have no chance. You do have a little bit more chance that that ball is pretty straight, but you're still having to gear up so quickly that uh, that's why intense velocity, that's why it's just going to miss bats. And it sets up your secondary pitches because if you can split a 98 mile an hour fastball with a a darting slider at 78 mile, uh, you know, 90 mile an hour slider, or even better, like an 82 mile an hour uh, curve ball that changes eye level, man, that, that that's where those pitchers become devastating. Um, Morhan doesn't have any of that. He's got the very high-velocity fastball, but I think he moves to the bullpen, uh, and it's, again, because he just can't throw strikes. Owen Miller comes in at number eight, and he's an interesting guy. It's a plus hit I think he was my uh, most improved player, or what do I call it, the biggest mover, Owen Miller. And he made our um, our our um, hot prospects several times. And high A and the Texas League high A and double A hit two ninety three fifty five on base percentage and a four thirty um, slug thirteen home runs and five stolen bases. He can really hit fifteen percent strikeout rate and eight point two percent walk rate. Doesn't have a ton of secondary skills, just okay power. Um, and you know, okay speed, but if you told me that it's a 280 to 290 uh, batting average with a 350, 360 on-base percentage with you know, 15 to 17 home runs and eight stolen bases, wouldn't you like to see that at your middle infield spot, maybe even your second base, second base spot as we're going through our uh, mock drafts or early mock drafts? Second base gets, gets gets short in a hurry, and Owen Miller could be a really nice Addition. Now, does he become um, a utility player for for the um, for the Padres, perhaps, because uh, they're just going to have a stud at each at each base. I mean, I don't know if he has a chance. You know, there's there's just some like uh Supido Mercano is the next guy. He's only in low way, but he's got way more upside than Miller does. Uh, again, he's a guy, he's even a better hitter than Miller. He's got plus speed, uh, hasn't really shown a whole lot of power, but I think, yeah, he just turned 20. So I think that power is going to eventually be there and he could hit 10 to 12 home runs. So he'll, he'll fly over, uh, Owen Miller. So Miller might eventually be the utility guy there or get moved in a trade. And he would be a guy a lot of teams would be interested in, um, and again, Marcano is a. I own him in a ton of dynasty leagues. Huge fan of his, and I think there's a chance to be. I, I think he's a chance to be a star. And I had a, I had a chance to see him in instructs. I, I think I, I tweeted this out when I was in Fall instructs uh, watching in September. It was Marcano. Um, who was it? Marcano, Abrams, Edwards, Trammell. Couple of other guys, they were all batting like one through six. (laughs) It was, it was literally prospect porn. That's exactly what it was. I mean, you know, it it was, it was. I just sat there with my mouth hanging open. I was literally in heaven watching this because you just don't see that where all of their top young players were just sitting there one after the other, all hanging out together and laughing and goofing off. Uh, and oh, one player just as good as the next player. just Im- impressive. Um, coming to number 10 was also a guy that I saw in the fall and struck leagues and wasn't impressed. Um, and that's Ryan Weathers. He did not throw hard at all. This is a guy who was throwing uh, upper 80s. and I checked my gun when he was hitting upper 80s. I checked guys who were standing next to me and their guns also said the upper 80s and I you know and it was fastball. Um, So I was a little concerned about that. Pitched okay last year, 384 ERA, 22 starts in low A, uh, 8.4 strikeout per nine, number one draft pick lefty. He doesn't have to throw 98 miles an hour. He's got to throw more than 88 miles an hour. So that's my big caveat with Ryan Weathers. I'm going to go with what other people have told me about him. And say that uh, there's there's a lot to like still with that, but I saw what I saw late in the season, so there you go. Number eleven is Edward Oliveras, another guy who's a late bloomer, double plus speed, power starting to come. I think he's going to hit enough to have a big league career, and he's a guy that nobody is talking about, and he's already in Double A, so you could see him next year. Again, another one of those guys with uh, that would that would come out and. Add depth to that uh, to that mediocre outfield. And this is something I kind of really like, um, and you know, I think there's 2020 potential there. So he's one of the guys that's on my on my list of players that I'm interested in in these dynasty league redrafts. Gabriel Arias. I think the ceiling is more of a utility player. Another kid I saw in uh, in the um, fall and Struck leagues. Look, he's got good pop. He's got some speed. We'll see, Michael Baez, big tall kid. I think he's eventually going to be a closer. Uh, six foot eight, uh, you know, it's it's premium velocity, but the, he just can't throw enough strikes. So I think that calls a move to the bullpen. Uh, Ronald Bollanos, uh, a guy I saw again in in Struckley. That was impressive, man. This this guy saw some time in the majors. Um, it's a quality arsenal, big stuff. Uh, I, there's just, you know, it just goes on and on. I should probably do a top 20 on both the Tampa Rays and the San Diego Padres. But that's the, that's the system, really, really good. If I'm in Dynasty League startups, it'd be a, obviously a squad that I'd be looking to add as many players as I possibly could in there. Let's take our final break. When we get back, we'll wrap this thing up, and I'll tell you what's going on over the next couple of weeks. As we wrap this thing up, I just want to uh, thank everybody for for chiming in and listening to us. I know the the number of downloads are going to pick up dramatically here over the next uh, few weeks, and we've got some great content coming up for you uh, this Sunday. We'll be doing a recording. We'll be doing our final fantasy division talk, which I think we're on the coming up to the AO. West, I think that's what it is. So we could talk about the Astros forever. I think everybody knows my position there. I'm deeply concerned about potentially um, A.J. Hench and Jeff Luno getting sub- substantial suspensions and some of the players getting suspensions as well. And I'm a, I'm just worried going into um, to drafts, drafting some of these players. I think there's going to be turmoil in that Astros organization. And, you know, can the players all, all look past it? They're all quote-unquote professionals? I don't know. I guess a lot of people will say yes. I'm not so sure. Uh, But anyway, so we will be covering the AL West. Next week, we'll also be doing another. uh, We're we're doing our, you know, after the uh, San Diego Padres, we'll have the San Francisco Giants. And then we move into the Houston Astros, which is a really down system now. It's really sad after years of being one of the better systems. It's very, very down. Uh, kind of sad to see, but so after that, we'll have two more weeks and uh, four more systems and we'll finish that prospect work off. And then early in February, right around the Super Bowl time, we'll be coming up with our top 100 list and doing lots of podcasts on that. Uh, Tim and I probably next week also will be doing a divisional prospect review where Tim interviews me on that. I'm not sure where we are. It's probably the um, AL East would be my guest uh, because I just finished that and Tim and I kind of had some time off around the holidays so we've got that coming up and then starting the first Sunday in January we will be doing player rankings starting off at catching and going all the way through to closers, pitchers, outfielders, you name it so catchers will be that first Sunday, which, is see, Sunday is the 29th. So it's like the 5th, I think, of, of January, whatever that is. So catcher rankings come out, and that's always things that people, you know, kind of want us to put out because they're starting to think about the fantasy drafts and, like, where does Tim rank, you know, X number of players? And he goes really deep. So, I mean, we're talking, I mean, the most shallow position will be catcher. He'll probably go 45 deep there, but he'll have – Seventy seventy second baseman out there and seventy shortstops. I mean, it's crazy deep. And I keep telling him it's probably a little too deep. I mean, who's going to be looking at you know some of those guys so far down in there? But you know, that's that's what he wants to do. And I think it's a great value for people to be able to see. It's just uh, it's a lot of work for him. Um, but uh, so we'll be starting that the first week in January and going on until we are finished, probably right up until. Um, the beginning of March. So that's what you'll have for it. That's what you'll be looking forward to. We'll have two more mock drafts. We had our first one last week. Hopefully got a chance to, to listen to that. If not, go back in and, and, uh, hear that Dr. Mershack was on us with us on the second part of that. And just did a marvelous job talking through and helping us think through his logic. Very, very good player. Uh, And I thought it was a really good dialogue. So we'll have two more. um, And the next one, we'll have a few more guests on. We just, Tim and I wanted to do the first one because they're so difficult to do and time consuming. We just wanted to make sure we had... um, we could lock one in and, uh, and not have to worry about talking to too many people, but we're going to open it up to seven more people who are drafting with us and uh, talk in real time, their thought process around who they're drafting. These are all very skilled, either industry people or very, very experienced fantasy players that will be drafting with us. So we have two more of those. Uh, One will be probably middle of February. And then the last one will be early March as you're starting to really get into draft season. So, um, think of starting in January. It's all about draft prep. A lot of stuff we've been doing now has been prepping for Dynasty Leagues and then just some background stuff on needs that teams have and some very broad strokes of where we are. We're getting very, very specific here over the next uh, few weeks. Um that's it. That's our show. That's a wrap. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Rich Wilson P361. At Rich Wilson P361. Tim's also out on Twitter. I have no idea what his handle is. Just look at my guys I follow, and Tim is there. It's at RonTMC with like a 10 or 11 digits after that. Uh, you can also go, if you want to support the show, you can also go out and visit our website, Prospect361. Upper right hand corner is our, is our sponsors, MLB Shops, uh, StubHub um, amazon.com and Steiner sports are all there. Just simply click on those. And Tim and I get a little bit of commission. If you do purchase anything from those sites and we appreciate that, uh, very, very much. It helps keeps, keep the lights on. Um, That's it, guys. Uh, We will talk to you on Sunday. This podcast, again, you're listening to it hopefully on uh, Sunday. And then our podcast on Sunday gets, gets released Sunday evening for your consumption. Hopefully Monday morning going to work. Without further ado, be well.